Je luistert naar een boodschap van C3 Church Amsterdam en Almere. Wij zijn een kerk van geloof, hoop en liefde. Voor meer informatie over onze kerk kun je terecht op onze website c3amsterdam.nl of c3almere.nl Wij geloven dat deze boodschap jou vandaag zal bemoedigen, inspireren en bekrachtigen. Today is called Authenticity of the Bible. And uh, I am so uh, excited to be able to uh, bring to you evidence about the validity of the Bible. I, um, I fell in love with the Bible about 30 years ago uh, when talking to a chemistry professor at the university I studied at. I was studying physics, but uh, paths crossed. And uh, he started to talk to me about the Bible in a way that I'd never heard before. And it brought it to life. I mean, like, I wanted, to, I wanted to devour this thing. It was not a historic document as he was talking about it. It was something that was living and life-filled and had, um, had life in it for my life. And so from that day on, I've been an avid uh, reader and student of the Bible for 30 years. So what I'm about to share with you has come from uh, consistent testing of the Bible Uh, consistent research of the Bible, and also uh, primarily historical and scientific research and study. So, if you're ready for this, buckle your seatbelt, because I know this will affect not just how you think about the Bible, but most importantly, the message in it. Uh, and that is the point. Many people ask these questions. They say things like... Um, There are contradictions in the Bible, so therefore it cannot be true, can it? Or um, it's, it's all made up, or it's just a good book. Um, it, it, it's good philosophy, good thinking, but it's just a good book. Um, there are so many comments made about the Bible, and, and I want to try and, rather than just uh, accept throwaway comments, encourage us to think about evidence. If there's any topic in life that is surely serious enough to need evidence about it's the it's the topic of our purpose here on earth who we're meant to be is there a god is there an eternity these are such significant questions we must not we cannot found our faith based on hearsay rumors it has to be based on evidence and so if you're basing your non-faith on things that is assumption And hearsay, I urge you today to base it on fact, base it on evidence. And so I've categorized people's questions into two thoughts. The first is this, the implications of the Bible's validity. That is, is the Bible true? The second is this, the implications of the Bible's message. That is, is it true for me? Can it be true for me? So we're going to look at those two things. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, uh, and uh, Luke is the third gospel. It's my Bible, which is good, but I'm going to read it out of here. Um, Luke chapter 1 is, uh, uh, the author of Luke is Luke, and he also wrote a book called Acts, and he was a doctor, and so he writes in a way that you'd expect a doctor to write, and he says this, many Have understood, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Amazing. Many people think or assume that the Christian's faith is, uh, is a blind faith, that we believe blindly in the Bible, but it just is not true. Christians, right from the first disciples, including Luke here, have gone on a quest, on a mission, to discover its authenticity. In fact, written into the Bible is in itself a self-proof. So they're talking about eyewitnesses. They're talking about investigation. They're talking about research and presenting it like an account. And that is how you can view, particularly the New Testament, it's a record of researched accounts stating what was, what was uh, uh, real events. Uh, not, not, it's not blind faith. It's researched uh, uh, situations. And it's not even just Christians that have done this. Non-Christians also. In fact, even historians who have been um, uh, antagonistic or not in favor of the Christian faith have reported on the life and stories of Jesus. You won't see Jesus just written about in the Bible, but by all sorts of other writers. And so what I want to do is take us through a journey of authenticating the Bible and then talking about the impact of the message. Um, so let's first look at the historic and scientific evidence. And so I want you right now to open your mind and open your heart to what might be true and what might be real. The, um, uh, the Wright brothers in the early 1900s were amongst the first to test out flying. There was a day when you said, not you personally, you as in the human being, said, uh, uh, man won't fly, women won't fly, we're not going to fly. My wife Lisby is on a plane right now on the way back from Sydney. I'm telling you, we can fly. I'm hoping we can fly. I want my wife back. Um, <clears throat> we can fly. But it was only a century ago, people were saying, oh, impossible, we're not going to be able to fly. Even the Wright brothers, even Orville Wright himself said, there's no way we're going to be able to fly from New York to Paris. There's no motor that can keep on turning uh, at a consistent speed for four days, which is what it would have taken to get from New York to Paris. So even, even the most advanced thinking, the most creative thinkers, as in the Wright brothers, didn't believe we could fly that far. Now look where we've got. We now fly within 24 hours around the entire planet, or half the planet. Uh, from, from here to Sydney, we can do that in a day. We have advanced. It just shows it's dangerous to make assumptions. We need to look at possibility. So I want you to think about the possibilities that what we have assumed might just be wrong. So let's start by looking at the historic evidence. There are two things that um, historians base accuracy of ancient history documents on. The first is this, the number of copies of the manuscripts available. Think about it. The more copies there are, the less likely there are errors in the original. Because you can compare copies with each other and, and so on. So it reduces the number of errors. So historians look at the number of copies available. 
The second thing they look at is the time between the original and the first copy, because that time, uh, it, within that time, there can be a deterioration of the writing. Uh, the, the paper was papyrus and it, it was prone to deteriorating and, and the ink was prone to fading. And so the longer the time went on, the less accurate was the records. Uh, and, and so what I want to show you right now is, is some instances of ancient historic text and what the historians consider accurate. And the first is this. Let's take uh, Thucydides, for example... He was a writer of Greco-Roman uh, culture in the sort of 400 BCs. And um, we have eight copies of his writings. The first copy was made 1,300 years after the original. Let's look at Aristotle's poets, po poetics. Um, there are five copies written 1,400 years after the originals. Caesar's Gallic Wars, uh, events in uh, 58 uh, BC, uh, were, there are, we have 10 copies of those, and they were written 1,000 years after Caesar's death. Uh, the next one is Alexander the Great. We have two uh, original biographies of that, written 400 years after his death. This is, this is the the historical writings. I could go on and talk about Homer's Iliad or, um, or Livy's history of Rome uh, and so on. And, and historians would say this is accurate uh, and this is reliable. But let's look at the Bible. How many records do we have of the Bible? How many copies of original manuscripts of, of the Bible do we have? And the answer is 25,000 copies over 25,000 copies of the New Testament and over 40,000 copies of the Old Testament. At that point, you can go, wow, that would be fine. <laughs> and, uh, and the early writings, writings happened within 15 to 50 years after the events occurred. What we're saying there is this. There would have been no deterioration in the evidence provided, and there can be no, virtually no error in the, in the fact there was co collaboration between so many copies. Historians would tell you there is no other ancient historic document that comes even close to the accuracy and the reliability of the Bible. It is an hist a historic fact. In fact, it is so accurate, you could take two records written 500 years apart, found in two different parts of the world, and they would be identical. There are 66 books in the Bible written by 40 different writers across three different continents in three different languages, and, and all the way through it, you see a, system, a systematic, thematic in, uh, consistency. There are no inconsistencies to the messages and the themes of the Bible. Get this, it's not even a perfect document. Unlike the Quran that claims perfection of itself, that it's a word-for-word -word accurate dictation by Allah, the Bible doesn't claim such a thing, because it is not. It is not a perfect uh, document. It is perfect in the themes that have, that have uh, consistently been, been brought up and written by authors who have not been able to collaborate because it's been written over 1,500 years. 
that in itself is an incredible marvel. That in itself is, is evidence to itself. Every historian uh, of, of all sorts of backgrounds would, be, would not be able to refute the fact the Bible is accurate in, in what it's saying. It's, it's a true, accurate, historic document. Now get this, as if that wasn't enough. As I was preparing this, I was thinking, there's probably not much point in going any further, because as I was researching this, I thought, that's pretty much got me. Uh, I'm already convinced. But I want to go on, because I want to show you the color and the beauty of how the Bible has been put together. The Bible itself has in it uh, a challenge for people to question its authenticity. We read one of those passages just now in Luke chapter 1. It's basically saying, there are eyewitnesses. Hey, come on out, eyewitnesses. Come on out and tell us this is fake. Here's your opportunity. So the fact that the, the, the New Testament, the writings of the New Testament began only 15 years after the events themselves occurred uh, was uh, meant that people could openly challenge it. If I said to you, Britain bombed Amsterdam in 1993, if you're over the age of 25, you would be coming forward real quick, going, that's a lie, that's wrong, you're making it all up. I was here in 1993. I was in Amsterdam, I saw no bombs. That's exactly what the writers in the Bible were attracting. Let me read you one of those statements by the Apostle Paul. He says this, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, the Bible, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters of the sa at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Amazing. See, the Bible mentions specific names. It mentions dramatic events, like the fe miraculous feeding of 5,000, like raising from the dead the daughter of a Roman leader. And, and it mentioned these things. And then it, then it says, and there are people today still alive who are witnesses to this. So therefore, basically, if you want to refute it, if you want to uh, declare that this is made up, now's your time to shout it out. And let me tell you, there were plenty of people who would have wanted to discredit Jesus. There were plenty of people who hated not just him, but hated the early Christians. And yet, they did not refute it. These are facts as reported. And, and the wonderful thing about the Bible, the most authentic thing about the Bible is it leaves in details that would have left the readers at the time um, marveled by those details. So let me give you some examples. They said that it was women who were first at the tomb after Jesus was raised from the dead. Why is that so important? Well, in those days, women were not considered of high enough status to give witness in court to something. They were an invalid witness to an event happening. So if this was not true, if this was made up, they would never have put in there that it was women who were first at the tomb. They would have put men were first at the tomb. In fact, if they wanted to be really sure, they would have said it was lawyers or doctors that 
arrived at the tomb, but they did not. Here's the other thing that gets me. The early church leaders, the, the leaders who wrote much of the New Testament, the, the people that we, uh, we esteem as, as the founding forefathers of Christianity are painted in the Gospels as less than perfect. Let's just put it like that. In fact, at times, outright stupid. <clears throat> Whoever is going to write a story of heroes based on a bunch of underqualified, inadequate, occasionally stupid people. It just doesn't happen like that. In fact, the Gospels also expand the vulnerabilities of Jesus himself, how he wept in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and begged God to take the burden from him. And I find, it, I find it wonderful that the Bible includes all of that. It's almost like the raw nature of the accounts of the Bible almost ensure us of its authenticity because no one would ever write it like that. In fact, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all of my life. I know what they are like, and none of them are like this. He's talking about the Bible. The Bible itself has built into it uh, in a sense, a self-proving technique. Okay, so that in itself may be amazing. The historic, scientific evidence may be amazing. But the central message of the Bible, and, and, and this, is, this is where we'll really land for the rest of this talk, is that the Bible is consistent about one theme, and that is this, that there's a need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. So all the way through the Old Testament, there's a theme of building up to the coming of a Savior. And the New Testament is an account of that Savior. Now we know it's true, because we've proven it's true. But forget this. The Old Testament prophesies the coming of Jesus. The New Testament records the account of Jesus. And therefore, this is why God has made it really clear and is shouting real loud about this topic because it is so critical to what Christians believe. There are 456 prophecies in the Old Testament of 456 unique, specific um, uh, things mentioned about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus prophesied over 400 years before Jesus came that all have been fulfilled, every single one, 456. Now, just to give you an idea of the probability of that ever happening, if any of you are interested in statistics, uh, the, the probability of all 456 facts coming true in one single person is equivalent to, right, let's break this down, 456, eight Eight of those coming true in one single person is equivalent to 1 in 10 to the power of 17. This is what it looks like. 1 to the power, 10 to the power of 17. Now, uh, we know this because a professor, Professor Stoner of Wellmont College in the USA, set a task to 12 classes of 600 students to investigate this. He was so curious, he said, Let's try and look at the probability of this coming together. 
What I'm trying to say to you is, could this have been orchestrated? Could have this, this have been man-made? Could have this come out of coincidence? So he, he put it together. They put their findings together conservatively because they wanted to find consensus agreement. And then they put it to a group of scientists and skeptics and presented it to the American Scientific Association uh, to have it potentially signed off if they agreed. And so they did. They presented it to this body, and it got signed off. The probability of just over 10% of these happening, 48 of them happening, is 1 in 10 to the power of 157. Now, we don't have screen space to show you what that looks like. Let's go back to the 1 to the power, uh, 10 to the power of 17 for a minute. What is that? What does that feel like? Because it's just a number otherwise. What it feels like is this. Take the state of Texas, take uh, dollar coins uh, too deep, cover the state of Texas, put a cross on one of them, blindfold someone, and ask them to find it. <laughs> the probability of them finding it is the same probability of eight of these individual facts. The facts I'm talking about are that he would be born in Bethlehem, uh, that he would, he would ride triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey, that he'd be betrayed by one of his disciples with 30 pieces of silver and so on and so on, that he'd die by crucifixion, specifically crucifixion, uh, that he'd be raised from the dead, etc., etc. And I've got 456 of these facts, right? The scientist said this. So 10% of these coming true, 10 to the power of 157. The scientist said this. We consider it... The, the, the imagination cannot perceive anything more than 10 to the power of 50. Beyond that is what we would consider an impossibility. Astounding. That God so wanted to grab our attention that he would want to so get a hold of your thoughts and your heart, that he would want to so send a message that you're more valuable to him than anything else, that you are more unique and more special than anything else, that he would go this far to show that his individual attention is on Christ and his effect on your life. The Bible is an account. It's not perfect, but there are no inconsistencies. The Bible is an accurate scientific and historical record, the most accurate historical ancient history by far of any historical document by far but what about the message so there are the implications of its validity but there's also the implications of its message aristotle put it like this the bible is the face of god to us the bible is the face of god to us so the bible is more than just a historic document and it's, it's got to be more than that. It's a reflection of Christ to us in its pages. So what is that message? That message is this, and you'll read this message all the way through the Bible, that people, humans, are not perfect. But yet we're made like God. Therefore, we have a moral compass. We have a, a, a sort of a guiding principle in us that makes us different. You know you're not an animal. Right? An animal kills things and eats them. You consider twice before you kill someone and eat them. It's just not wired in you. You have a 
compass of morality in you. Where does that come from? You are made in the image of God. There is a uniqueness about human beings that is special, that, that is set apart. And, and God is on a quest. He's on a mission to restore that. You're, you're here going, what's my meaning? What's my purpose? Why am I here? What's the answer to life and the universe? And Jesus is that answer. And so all the way through the Bible, you see this theme, this schematic that is happening of man not being perfect. And yet we know there's something special about us. We have a search for significance. And then, and then he says, and there is an answer that will cause you to be able to be restored to God himself. And his name is Jesus. That, that, that's, that's really the, the message. And so we've got to ask ourselves, if that's the message of this book that is proven to be true, of this book that is so well woven together through prophecies and answers and, and it, it, it is, is so grabbing our attention by God's desire to chase us down and seek us out, then are we prepared to let it be true to us? And some would say, yeah, but I don't know. It's, it's sort of out of date, isn't it? It talks about slavery and it condones slavery. and Because uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, slaves submit to your masters. Now, what is that all about? We hate slavery. We've abolished slavery. Now, yesterday, um, the power in, in the area I live in went out. We had no electricity for two hours. And, uh, and you just realize how much you cannot do, right? I was saying to my sons, I was going, oh, I'm going to go and do this. And then I went, oh, I can't. There's no power. Oh, I'll do this instead. Oh, I can't. There's no power. Uh, and, and so it went on. You realize how many things you cannot do. And my biggest concern was the meat in the freezer. Of course, it would be on every guy's mind first before anything else. And when I got over that, I, I sort of imagined what it must have been like in the days where we had no electricity. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the fact that to have communicated to someone, I'd have had to written a letter and, and put it in a bottle attached it to a pigeon or something, or I would have written a letter and, and maybe run with it or communicated a message by walking somewhere. My gosh, can you imagine that? Walking somewhere and not even having a bicycle. And so I sort of imagine what life would have been like. And, and you see, the deal is this. We make assumptions out of our worldview. Some of them are correct. Some of them just are not correct. So let's take the slavery thing, for instance. When the Bible refers to slaves, 85 to 90% of Rome, of Italy at the time, were slaves or slave origin. It had nothing to do with the slavery of no choice that we have now or have had in recent history. It's not a lifetime of slavery. It's not an abuse. It was an employment. You were, the, you were a, a family's household servant. In fact, you were amongst the most trusted people in their world. You were their accountant. You were their estate manager. You, you, were, you were there to, to uh, work for and be employed by and paid for. After 10 to 15 years, you, you would move on. It was an employment. What Paul was saying is, employees, be good to your employers. Now, that sounds like good advice, right? And yet we make assumptions through our filters that it's all wrong. But get this, what if there were some things in the Bible that challenged our culture? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't it be a good thing that there's a book in this world that has something to say to every culture on planet Earth? 
that challenge something about every culture. Doesn't that say something about the Bible being unbiased by culture? And doesn't it give us some reassurance that whilst we're struggling to understand society, whilst we're struggling to understand our identity in society, and whilst we're struggling to filter what is the, the, the wonderful blessing of culture in our society and what is the wonderful curse of our culture in our society, that there is something that would speak into it. You see, if God cannot challenge us, he cannot be God to us. If God cannot challenge you, then you are your God. You are God to you. Heaven forbid that you would be your God. I know me and I don't want to be my God. I know what I'm like and I know the God I'd be to me if I was God and I would be unreliable, I would, I'd be inadequate, I would have uh, uh, less knowledge than I need, I, I would have nothing that would help me in life that couldn't be gained from Google, Wikipedia or the advice of good friends. If God is to be God to us, there has to be a point in which he can challenge us. The other argument that some people have is I've tried it. And you may be here today, and you may be in this category where you've gone, I, I, I've, tr I've tried it. I've burned out on it. I'm trying to fulfill all the moral codes and the rules. And let, me, let me say to you, I think you've read the theme of the Bible incorrectly or you've been taught incorrectly because the theme of the Bible isn't rules. The Bible is so lacking rules. There's so little of the Bible is about rules and moral code. Very little of it. And yet what we've done is we've amplified what is in there and we've made the rules our God and it is a bad God to serve. You become a slave to a performance master. You become a slave to a moral master. You become a slave to a God who's not the God of Christianity at all and you burn yourself out. The theme of the Bible is to say, Yes, you are made in the image of God. Yes, we know you cannot be the image of God without God at work in your life. We know that we are weak and insufficient without him, but you are not without significance. You are not without meaning. You are made for a purpose, and there is a search inside of every one of us that is, is wanting that truth. And that truth is this, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to be enlightened. C.S. Lewis said this, he says, I don't just believe in the sunrise because I can see it, but because I can see things by it. That's his explanation of why he became a Christian. He turned from atheism to Christianity because it made sense of his life. He says, I didn't just see that it was true like the sunset. I saw now through the filter of the Bible Life now made sense. My question to you is this. If the Bible is true, if the message is significant, will you let it be true for you today? So as we draw this to a close, and in a moment we're going to have baptisms, but let me be honest with you. This entire service has been set up for this moment that we're about to do, and that is this. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to consider this prayer. I'm going to ask you to say this prayer. Now, if the message is true, that you, in a sense, are still on a search for meaning, if, in a sense, you know that there's a validity in the Bible, if you know that it's for you, 
Are you prepared to ask yourself, what am I going to do about it? I can put evidence to you, but I can't make you follow it. But what you cannot dis dispute is the facts. The facts are the facts. It's indisputable that it was a Jesus, that he died and that he rose again. No other God has ever done that, by the way. Um, some have claimed to. It's indisputable. But the point is this. Will you let him change your heart? Will you allow him to transform you in the way that he's transformed me, in the way that he's transformed billions of other people throughout the last 2,000 years? Christianity still continues to rise at such a rate because this truth keeps dropping into people's hearts. I am here for a reason. I am significant. I want to know the God that made me. So whether you're that person who's gone, I've tried. I've tried the Bible and I'm burnt out because you read the theme wrong and it's pushed you away from God. If you're that person, I want you to come back today. I want you to pray this prayer with us today. Or whether you're that person that has never asked Jesus into your life. Or whether you're that person that it's just not sure you're going to heaven. You may be here today and you're going, I don't know at all. I'm still on a search, but what I've experienced in this service has been enough for me to go, I'm on a seriously interested search right now. If you're in any of those situations, I really would be honored to pray this prayer with you. So could we all close our eyes as we pray this prayer together? I'm going to pray a line and I want you to pray a line. And let's pray this together. Just so I know who I'm praying for. If you're here today, in just a minute, I'm, I'm going to, just a moment, if I'm speaking to you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and then put it back down again. This is a, it's an important moment. I'm just going to ask you to put it in the air and then put it back down again. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you're coming back to him today, if you want to be sure you're going to heaven or if you're saying, yes, I'm on a search, because there's one prayer that always gets answered and that is, Jesus, show me that you're real. If that's you today, if you're in one of those situations, could you just raise your hand for me and then put it back down and, and then I'm going to pray. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. It's awesome. Who else is there today? Beautiful. Wonderful. Who else is there? Thank you, Jesus. I've had nearly 20 people this weekend make this decision. You're not on your own. If you're going, am I, am I doing something weird? No. If you go and I don't understand it all, neither do I. <laughs> and I've been following Jesus for 30 years. But I cannot deny my heart. I cannot deny the, the sense that I came home. I did what I was meant to do the day I discovered Jesus. Here's the other thing. I've prayed this prayer more than once. 
Because I had some doubts after the first time I prayed it. I came back two or three times, prayed the prayer. That was about something that was going on inside of me, a wrestle that was going on inside of me, a dealing with the doubts. If you have those, it's normal. Just keep coming back. He'll give you an assurance that you are his. So there may be one more person here today. You just want to get rid of those doubts. Wonderful. Can we all pray this prayer together? I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer. Let's pray it, pray it line by line. It goes like this. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me. I ask that you would forgive me. I turn away from my past. And I ask you into my life. I thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you fill me with your peace. Today, I am a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray for every person here who needed to pray that prayer. Pray your presence would be close to them right now. You'd be near them right now. Convince them and show them that they are free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. I'm going to ask us all just to do one more thing, please. Bedankt voor het luisteren naar onze podcast. We zien je graag terug in een van onze diensten. Kijk op onze website voor tijden en locaties.